Welcome back to Dunkota Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Daniel. Another Cradle episode. Here Another one. <laughs> Another one. We are covering Underlord. Underlord in this episode. Um, we we went through, we had a long episode last week for Ghostwater. Did a lot of highlights. And so we've still got some comments to cover for this one. Um, not as many, but but we I should start. We, with we, us. we were kind of playing catch up last week a little bit. Yeah, we we for sure were playing catch up with some comments last week. Um, so yeah, this week we need to address some comments. Luke, the first comment that I want to address comes from Loner Actual. Loner Actual, a longtime friend of the pod. Uh, he mentioned one of the highlights that was his personal favorite was when Lyndon and Orthos are in Ghostwater and Akura Harmony has taken Dross and Lyndon is trying to decide what to do. No, 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 that's not what it is. Lyndon has just decided to go after him and take Dross back. And Orthos tells him that Orthos Orthos says to him, once you were weak, that boy is long dead, but his remnant still haunts you. Uh, and then he says, your weakness, Lyndon, is thinking that you are weaker than you are. So good. That just like epitomizes what Orthos did for Lyndon in Ghostwater and is kind of like a brilliant summary for the like great mentoring that orthos did in ghostwater just like that line perfectly summarizes what he did for linden in ghostwater so loner actual good catch that was also one of my favorite moments i just forgot to mention it last episode okay yeah that was a very good moment um we talked a little bit last episode about linden's decision to not take very much of the life well uh yeah we did luke and we got a lot of comments on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of reasoning why that that makes sense for Lyndon, and I think that that's I think that that's fair. There's a there is a lot of comments. I responded a little bit that we were saying more along the lines of Lyndon being able to sell this down the line since he doesn't actually need it. One of my favorite responses was from Mister Red that said, basically. He's like such a hoarder that there's no way he's selling it. <laughs> I think that's fair. That's a very good point. That's a very limited uh, thing to the do. Other, the other, yeah, the other kind of comments were um, like Lyndon doesn't really, really think about the fact that he could use this for money or or he already thinks that or he doesn't know that Ethan does not have the resources that he used to have, which is all very fair. Um I still I still think he should have taken a little bit more. Dude, in this book, in this freaking book, there's the scene when Yaren gets her lifeline cut and is going to die in 2 months. And Lyndon's like, "Hey, hey Dross. Hey Dross, how much of that life water would I've needed to completely fix Yaren and solve all this problem all these problems?" And Dross is like, "Oh yeah, like a spoonful. That probably would have done it." A spoonful. You're not bringing a spoonful of life water, Lyndon. Oh my God! Just like tough, 
so tough. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. And, I mean, Lyndon, you don't know what's going to happen to your lifeline. I think that, that Lyndon is so ignorant on, like, the lifeline situation is is kind of what it is. Yeah, until we get to Ghostwater, I mean, I don't think we've even heard of a lifeline until that point. Right. So I, I do and We get... don't even know the ramifications of that kind of thing until Underlord. Right. So I get it. I get it. It makes sense. Lyndon's like, what the fuck even is this? I don't care. <laughs> He's like, wow, and that's it made my turtle super no idea. dope. It made my tur- turtle super dope, but like, I don't know what this does to people. It didn't make me feel any different. Like, I, I get I get that. Yeah, I I kind of chalk this up to the same Linden that chose to use the whitetail banners instead of getting a thousand mile cloud or any of the other cool treasures from the Heaven's Glory sect. Like, this is a Linden that, while he's very clever, he's not very wise. Like, if, if this was a D&D character, Linden's wisdom is is not very high. Although, okay, okay, let me, I'm going to go against us. Here's a, c- a counterpoint. Okay. And this is more of just an example of something that I think someone on our approach would do. There's a story, very well-known story, that someone is going to market, right? And they're, and they're going to get, they're going to get something that they know the value of, that they need, it's very important for them, but then someone offers them magic beans, <laughs> and they're like, "I don't know what that does, but it sounds better." Uh, I think me and you were taking the magic beans. Yeah, I mean, every time. Yeah, you got to go magic beans. You don't know what those do. They're magic. Are you kidding me? It's in the name. <laughs> so, but you're saying you're I mean, saying Lyndon your- is choosing to go to market. I don't think Lyndon's going to market. There's no way. I think this shows that he is. No, Lyndon is on the way to market. Somebody's like, hey, I'll sell you my magic beans. And Lyndon's like, how can I just take their magic beans? Lyndon's like, how can I trick them? Oh, into Lyndon's just... going third option. Lyndon's like, how can I trick them into giving me their magic beans? And then I can also go to the market. That's what Lyndon's doing. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, I, I kind of just put this up to Lyndon not... Not necessarily knowing everything. Because here's the... Okay, here's the other wild thing. In this book... So he has stuff from the dream well that makes him feel like he got a full night's sleep. In this book, there's somebody from the Bright Crown that he's about to leave his tent. And they like puff little gold dust into his face. And he describes it as having just gotten a full night's sleep. A restful night's sleep. So you dump all that stuff out. (laughs) That's... That's monster energy drink in this world. The equivalent of a monster energy drink. And you fill it with this valuable life well stuff. <sighs> I'm getting heated already, yeah. Luke. Heated. We're, we're warmed up. You know what, Luke? While we're heated, we're going to go to another comment that we got in the past that I need to bring up again. Ooh. People were dunking on us so hard about our grand unified theory of Ara. People were coming in the comments like they had a PhD <laughs> in Ara studies. Okay? And in this fucking book, <laughs> how do you advance to Underlord Luke? Okay, okay. 
I I know what you're referencing. You're referencing this this chant that Dross does. Uh huh. What's Where the chant? Dross, I forget the exact words, but the gist of it is that like everything comes from the same source. It's like find the unity in all aura, and in order to do it, you take different auras of different kinds and put them around you and you find like how they blend together in the perfect way are you fucking kidding me luke we were so (laughs) on point and people were coming at us in the comments this is not to call anybody in particular out but i want you to recognize this if you commented and were like you guys there's not one aura it comes from what is it then okay what are you even (laughs) talking about there is a unified aura. Dross is talking about it nonstop in this book, and that's how you upgrade to Underlord. I am so righteous in my indignation right now. <laughs> Dad's, Dad's coming out hot. Scorched Earth strategy. Um, yes, I... I. <laughs> so I think it's clear now that I don't, I don't remember exactly our position or other people's position. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to articulate what I understand it to be now after this book and specifically just basically after this Dross chant, which is that there is a single source of aura that like all other auras are just other subcategories of. Yeah. That's what we were saying, Luke. And, and here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. If you want to come at us again, like, tell me how that makes sense in the context of this soul fire idea, right? You weave soul fire, it sounds like, from the unity of aura in the world. So tell me how that makes sense, okay? What does that mean, unity of aura, if it doesn't mean that aura comes from, like, one thing, okay? Like, explain that to me. If you want to come at me and be like, <laughs> your grand unified theory was wrong, all right? I welcome it. I welcome it. Hit me with it. Okay, yeah, we're going. We're going antagonistic. We we do love the comments. I'll say we do really love the comments. Uh, But you gotta be. You gotta cat. If you're gonna come at the king, you better not miss. There we go. We're calling. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. I've got. I think I have one more comment that's later on in the episode. Um, So I'll bring that up later. But for now, let's jump into underlord mm-hmm. first, first scene yeah like like we've seen a lot of times is an abadan scene mm-hmm. and it's the Vroshir attacking this world serial comes in fights them off and one thing that i think is really is cool but also kind of funny in my mind is just like the absurd power levels that are described in this scene where like every technique has a description about how much damage it can do. This dude's, this dude's bullet like can destroy the world. This lady's little spider ghost smoke thing can also destroy the world. I'm very impressed. Very impressed with these guys. Yes. Yes. But it's also kind of hard to just understand, like, it's hard to gauge who's more powerful at that level, right? Until mm-hmm. somebody wins a battle, it's hard to be like, oh yeah, his gun is clearly better than her smoke demon. 
because like they both <laughs> sound really dangerous and it's on a level that I can't really think about. I'm going to need like some some hit point stats. It's to me it's like comparing a billion dollars and a trillion dollars. Like those are just fake words in my mind and I know it's a <laughs> lot and I know that one is more than another just based on the definition. But if somebody just tells me that they've lit a billion dollars on fire and if somebody else tells me they lit a trillion dollars on fire, I'm like, "Okay, so what does that look like? I don't know." <laughs> those are the same those are the same thing, yeah. That's fair. I think that's true. Um, also in this scene, I want us to, this might be, well, okay, let me just, let me just go for it. We're getting the perspective of the Abaddon mm-hmm. and the, the Vrochir seem like really bad people. Yes. It's kind of hard to tell. Cause it's hard to tell. What I, the, 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 this, this is my point. Okay. I, I'm not, I don't want to, to get into the, the mindset that the Abadan are by definition the good guys. Right? Uh, because we're getting their perspective. That's true. We're definitely getting a biased narrative because we're getting their perspective. But it also seems like like Suriel's doing a good thing. I would I would agree with that. Like Suriel goes down Suriel... to a planet and saves a woman from a giant weird centipede thing that's about to destroy her. And is like, hey, I think lady. That that's true. <laughs> I think Serial is definitely on the on the good side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't necessarily want to be on that, like by default, on the side of the Abadan. I think I'm with you on that, actually, because we don't really know what their their large term goals are. We don't want to we don't want to end up on the side of some like fascist regime, right? We don't want right. it to come out because in like two books that that these people are rounding up people that look weird. <laughs> right. Because because we've gotten individual perspectives. Serial, the the Titan Abaddon that's on this world, very seemed like very good people. I I don't want to expand expand that to the entire Abaddon structure yet. Right. Like we find I just out- want to keep open the possibilities. Because Osriel kind of seems like he doesn't really like the Abaddon. Uh, so he's he's diagnosed some problems that we don't quite know about yet. Right, right. Yeah. But we'll see. We could find out that, yeah, maybe the Abaddon, the Titan on this world is using like slave labor to create a new theme park or something on this world. Could, yeah, I mean. We don't know. Could be. That's true. I, I also don't want to say I'm team Abaddon yet because we don't really know what they're doing yeah yeah that's fair okay first first real scene yeah 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 yeah. okay first real scene is with i think linden and yaren Mm -hmm. and can we just talk about how great linden is for a second where he's like okay so are you he's like hey yaren i got to go to ghostwater for all this time and i brought back a bunch of stuff that i could for sure use like, it would really help me out to use all this stuff. It's all yours. Go for it, Yaren. You didn't get to come to Ghostwater with me. I get it. It sucks. You didn't get a cool little guy in your head. Have all my stuff. What a nice thing to do, Lyndon. Also, how awkward is that going to be for Mercy standing there listening to that conversation? <laughs> like, hey. Uh... I, okay, so I don't think Mercy was there for that part. I don't think so. I don't think that's true either. 
But and and la- later on, they do offer Mercy stuff, and she declines. Yes, but Mercy... I I see your point. <laughs> Mercy's like, hey, we're all a team, right? And Lyndon's like, yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Hey, Yaren, if you want any of this stuff from Ghostwater, you're like welcome to all of it. It's yours. Mercy, you're cool, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Dope, dope. Yeah, yeah. Lyndon, for sure, good guy. Um, just salt of the earth, you know. In it in it for the team. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's good to see Yaren acknowledge that. Because, you know, she had been like a little bit bitter, a little bit bitter. <laughs> we were seeing a little bit of it. And then she kind of gets mad at herself after this i think that was i think that was nice to see it was an important scene yeah it was an important scene for sure and then next we get we get a very cool fight scene mm. that that might belong in the highlights section um so i'm not going to go too far into it the one thing that i want to say about this is the the aftermath and this is actually something that you brought up last episode where you basically said Everyone should be looking at Lyndon like a monster and terrified of him. Absolutely. And we, we see yeah. that now. Yeah. Because they Cause should. He, he, yeah. He, he demolishes them. And then when he's like up walking around in the Skysworn headquarters, everyone is terrified of him. Rightfully so. I think perfectly rightfully so. It's, he's finally getting the recognition he deserves, which I love. Um. I now my problem is I think Yaren has the acceptable level of concern because people were already worried about her blood spawn. So I think people are giving Yaren the credit she deserves. I think people are giving Lyndon the credit he deserves. But now it's Ethan. Now it's Ethan that I think Ethan is a monster for sure. Mm-hmm. And We've seen it because we saw Ethan demolish Longhook in the last book. And I guess not a lot of people have seen Ethan go like full out. But based on the things that he's been able to accomplish, people should be a lot more terrified of Ethan, I think. Yes. And and part of this is because Ethan has like cultivated this picture of him as not as powerful. I think that some people do recognize it. Like, I think the Emperor recognizes yes, that he's up there. that's true. Just because of, he kind of looks to Ethan like his, like his, I don't know. Kind of second in command. Partner in charge kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas, t- like, by the, by the technical rankings, he shouldn't be. So I, I think there's a little bit there with the Emperor. But I agree with you that other people should be looking around like is is this guy a lot better than we think he is should i be terrified of this guy no he's got great fashion and he seems like he doesn't really care about a lot of stuff so i probably shouldn't be but also he's killed like a lot of underlords like his underlord kill streak is pretty high (laughs) yeah i think a lot of people kind of subconsciously recognize it but don't think deeply enough about it Mm -hmm. like cassius for example this is this is jumping ahead a lot. But at the end of the book, when they're when they're on this little like run and gun mission and they get caught and then are on the retreat, Cassius is 
in the thick of it. And he's now trying to escape because there's an underlord after him. And then like Ethan comes out of nowhere and Cassie's like, thank God we're good. It, in theory, if you if you think that Ethan is like a normal underlord, you that's that's not your reaction, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, Ethan's here, he'll help a good bit. Let's see if we can team up against this person. But Cassius is like, fuck, yes, we're good. Let's go. You know what? We're going on the offensive. Tell everybody we're striking back. <laughs> That's what he does. He's like, contact back. Tell him we're, we're on the offensive now. Yeah. So I think, I think people kind of subconsciously are, are like, Ethan is, is, is just is good to go. But then they don't really think deeply enough about it to be like, is there something wrong here? <laughs> this guy's bringing back like a full Papa John's feast from that valley we just got decimated in, full of underlords and terrible, terrible things. And he has like not a scratch on him, but he's still he's still ranked seven underlord. Yeah, still number seven. <laughs> that seems right. Let me let me go to something small. And that's. Linden getting like his sky sworn armor and and wanting to tinker around a little bit with it. Mm-hmm. This is this is maybe just a personal preference for me. I I just don't want to have to deal with Linden like doing more construct stuff. Like I just don't want it. I know it'll be useful, but like just take the armor and like, I don't know. Don't bother me with your nonsense. Luke, I am so not on board with this. It's not even <laughs> funny. I love Lyndon getting a new piece of armor or tool or something and tinkering with it to make it all cool. I'm like, I'm... Lyndon gets his armor and I'm like, okay, what kind of dope upgrades has Lyndon added to this thing? Because I'm sure it's incredible. Tell me, Lyndon. Detail very specifically what you've done to this armor (laughs) i want to hear the fine details about it okay we are we are very much not on the same page here because i love it and luke this ties in perfectly to something we mentioned in episode two because ethan's walking around with scripted clothing and we're like what kind of cool shit can you get in your scripted clothing we saw the sky sworn armor which is like that but also Akura Charity has like purple underglow on her robes and you know that's like some scripted clothing and I'm fairly certain we mentioned that exact thing when we were like what kind of cool things can you do with scripted clothing okay 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 let me mention a caveat I am I'm not here I'm not here for the for Lyndon tinkering around and like maybe adding a little cool new fighting thing I don't want it I'm done with that what I am here for is you throw me you throw me some some cool lighting on your armor. Maybe some maybe some light up shoes. Hit me with that, Lyndon. I'm here for it. Give me all of it. Okay. All right, Luke. I'm I'm still not on board with you because I also want to hear if Lyndon adds a fucking cannon to a shoulder mounted mounted cannon. A shoulder-mounted rocket launcher to his his armor. I want to hear about that, Lyndon. Don't hold out on me, Lyndon. Tell me everything. 
but also I'm very excited for the new the new uh, underglow that he's adding to it for the style points because you know he's got to up his style ranking in the Black Flame Empire. Sure, his combat he's ranking low. is pretty high, but his style ranking has got to be so low right now. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Again, throwing back to a big conflict that we had in the past, the conflict, one of the problems that we had was how important this duel was between Jai Long and and Linden. This book kind of makes me get it a little bit more. And here's what I mean. Everybody's preparing for an uncrowned tournament that's a bunch of underlords. Like, you can't compete unless you're an underlord anybody above that nope you're out and this is a competition that the monarchs are like interested in difference from underlord to monarch massive so i was like oh yeah this uncrowned tournament kind of makes sense because you can see the power of each of these nations in a like realistic way and you can kind of see who's going to be up and coming as like the most powerful people okay yeah yeah that makes sense but when I said that, I was like, oh, wait, then Linden versus Jai Long has got to kind of make sense, too. You know what I mean? Because at that level, we're trying to okay. see the power between Ethan and uh, the underlord of the Jai, the patriarch of the Jai clan. And they have okay. these kind of like low level golds fighting it out in a very similar way to the Uncrowned Tournament. Now, what I'll say is this. They're not on even footing in that Jai Long is like a true gold so him beating Linden doesn't tell you that much so it's not quite the same but I still kind of get why it matters okay that's that's fair I think this is a this is the best point that I think I've seen so far as to why this duel matters just because as a as an analog to the uncrowned tournament like that that may I that makes sense but I will say like you mentioned the fact that they're not on even footing, like, I think tanks that a good bit. It for sure does, because it doesn't really tell you anything. Like, it would matter more if Linden did really well against Jylon. Right. Like, if Linden did really well, even as a low gold, then it's like, okay, well, the Aurelius clan kind of won that, because it's clear that this low gold is almost on the level of their true gold. So that means that they're kind of more powerful. Which, which I will argue... I will argue that he did. I will. <laughs> Linden did very well in this fight. Until we die, the Aurelius clan won this duel. <laughs> since we're since we're on this, <laughs> I've got to do. I've got to do my my rant about this every episode, and I apologize for that. But I, I have to. I'm sorry. Feel free to skip like okay. five or ten or twenty minutes in the future on this episode. <laughs> The there's a scene in this episode where the emperor is like talking about how fragile the empire is. And he's laying out all these things. This side's in chaos. This is happening over here. Um, the border that the that the Jai clan used to protect is like kind of screwed up now because they're not there. And the Aurelius family has not risen to that position yet. Very, that's, that sounds concerning. Here's my question. What is the selection process 
for allowing the Aurelius family to jump up to that position. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's pretty clear that the Aurelius family wants to, right? Yeah. And the emperor needs them to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, like, Lyndon lost this duel, so I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to figure something out. What are we doing? <laughs> Just like put them in charge. Yeah, but uh... am I wrong? <laughs> okay. I genuinely don't know, Luke. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But I kind of wonder. I, I'm just kind of wondering the practical nature of how this works because you have like, okay, so you have the Jai clan holding the border and then their underlord dies and the Aurelius clan steps up. Do they switch jobs? Like, does the Jai clan now take care of all the janitorial duties in the, because here's the thing. They have to, they have jobs to do. It's not just like you can multiply people out of thin air and now they do the jobs of other people. Like you have people doing jobs. This is an economy, okay? You can't just say, oh, all you people doing janitorial duty, now you also have to defend the border from these like people coming in trying to murder us. You can't do that. So either... The Jai clan and the Aurelius clan switch jobs to where now the Aurelius clan are cool fighters protecting the borders and the Jai clan are trading in their spears for mops and brooms. Or the Aurelius clan does like a hostile takeover of the Jai clan where they're just like taking off their uniforms and giving them new Aurelius jumpers to wear around. Those are like the only two options for how this can work because you have to just like have the bodies to do this kind of thing. You can't... It's an economy. <laughs> right. So, it's weird to me... Here, I think this is what I'm arguing for. The I think from the beginning of what we've heard from this empire, there's like, I think, three top families. And that's the uh, the emperor's family the like Kotai family and the Jai family. And then there's like some families underneath that, the Aurelius family being the top of the second tier. I feel like you can switch top families in and out without changing their roles. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Aurelius family should be able to be number three without having to take over the defensive duties of the Jai clan. Right. Okay, Luke, here's the wrench. Here's where the wrench comes in. The top three families have got to be getting most of the wealth, right? You're giving them all the scales, and maybe you're giving the lower families a little bit less. Ooh, that's assuming that they're giving them anything. Because, oh, this is an important question. Okay, we're, we're in the weeds. We're in the weeds We're here. in the weeds, but this is an important question. How is the government structured in the Black Flame Empire? Is... Are the rankings just descriptive? For example, Ethan is a number seven underlord. Does it just mean like everybody says, cool, you're a number seven underlord? Or does the government provide him with special benefits as the number seven underlord? Like, does the Black Flame Empire provide the clans certain benefits? Or does it just say, you are the third most valuable clan? Like, you're the third most valuable, so of course you're going to get the most. Like, your economy is the best, but we're not going to 
give you additional scales. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is an important factor because if that's the case, then yeah, just the Jai clan keeps on doing their thing and the Aurelius clan keeps doing their thing, but they're just descriptively ranked higher, right? So people respect the Aurelius clan more than the Jai clan. But if the Empire is giving the Aurelius clan more resources, then you have to ask him to do more than the Jai clan, right? Yes. Which, which, okay. Let me, they are. But that's a small, that's a small point. Um, I think that that's fair. The, the, you brought up a good point there because if, if the number three clan gets more resources than the number four clan, my, my understanding is that resources like scales or, elixirs or that kind of thing are more beneficial for fighting purposes so you probably want your more military clans to be getting those resources more so so there's an argument for keeping the jai clan at number three i guess but there's i think there's just too much we don't know there's absolutely too much we don't know i will say i think at one point cassius mentions the benefits that you get from ranking up i don't remember what he says so i'm sure like Be sure to comment on this episode in the subreddit or send us a tweet with what Cassius says about more details about how the Black Flame government works. Uh, (laughs) If this is your first episode listening to uh, our podcast, welcome. We're talking about fantasy governments, Uh, (laughs) but we're moving on and we're moving on to something that was so satisfying in this episode that I've been wanting for a while. And that's when Ethan is up on the ceiling cleaning something he's scrubbing away and they're in a meeting with i think naru guai guay who's the leader of the sky sworn and dross notices ethan up there and says hey linden ethan's up on the ceiling i wonder what he's doing and linden notices him too and ethan looks down and sees him staring right at him and he's like oh oh dang somebody saw me i've wanted somebody to just like get ethan for so long and dross dross is the exact person to do it dross gets him Mm -hmm. and i love that moment that was one of my favorite moments of this book that is a very good moment one thing that i think is also very good about that moment is the fact that ethan is legitimately cleaning (laughs) right (laughs) linden mentions that the room is spotless so it's not like he's been faking it like Ethan's and actually he's, he's been actually physically like wiping off the ceiling with a rag when Lyndon sees him. That's part. That part's great. Uh, okay. The other. So the other great part about Ethan in this in this section. Did you did you catch what what are on Ethan's scales when he creates a scale? There's a there's a picture of Ethan. <laughs> How incredible was that moment where Ethan makes a scale for Fisher Gesha and it's got his face on it? <laughs> it for sure takes a deep, like a, a good bit of extra effort to do that. See, this is why Ethan's style, style ranking is one or two. Mm-hmm. It's got to be one or two in the Empire because... The amount of style to pull that off is incredible. We, we talked about how he's near the bottom. Because he's kind of unique among everyone else. But I think he's unique in a, in a way people recognize. I think he's unique in a way that's like, ooh, this guy thinks of things we don't. Okay. I think he's one or two in the style rankings. 
I think I think he's either one or two or last. I think there's no in between. All right. I'll still grant you he could be last because they don't understand his genius yet. But it's only because they don't understand his genius and he deserves to be one or two. Oh, for sure. You, there's no. It actually even surprises me that they're ranking by, I think it's technically aesthetics. I want to say that there's both. Okay. I think when I was reading that before, they said there were style and aesthetics. Okay. Either way, surprising to me that they're even ranked that way, considering like no one does any. Okay. Anyway, um, it's. It's frustrating to me a little bit that everyone kind of dislikes Ethan. Is that fair? Because it seems like everyone really gets annoyed with Ethan. And I think I talked about this in a previous episode, but Ethan would be, seems like he's just like so much fun to hang out with. And I, this, this comes down to maybe more of our core squad. Mm. there's a few scenes here where like people don't want to be alone with ethan the the example that i'm thinking of is when they first get into or no no no, actually there's a couple and they're both yaren actually yaren at the very beginning is trying to figure out where they're going out to eat for dinner and everyone's like eh not feeling it and ethan's like i'll go out with you and she's like kind of disappointed yeah and then later when they go into the Nightwheel Valley and they're splitting up, Yaren wants to go with Lyndon and Mercy, but Ethan makes her come with them and she's like really bummed about it. I don't get it. There's also the moment when the leader of the Skysworn makes a soul deal with Ethan so that he doesn't have to see him anymore. That's a big deal that you made just so you don't have to talk to Ethan anymore. I actually totally get it. I kind of very much understand why everybody is a little sick of Ethan. Because I'll grant this. Ethan, great guy. I think he has other people's interests in mind. He's looking to protect people. He does good stuff. Ethan's a good guy. But he is so annoying, my dude. He is the biggest know-it-all of all time. And if I just like don't. Nobody likes somebody who is just always explaining things to them that they don't know or or telling them like what they're doing wrong or or just like that he seems so pretentious and okay, he, okay, he okay. has a reason to be because he does know like he's right but that makes it more infuriating like I'm with Cassius on this Okay, I I understand your point. Um, it is very annoying to have to deal with someone that's a know-it-all. However, I think when you when you know everything and tell people everything, like, and and uh, let me see how to phrase this. I don't think that. Being knowledgeable about most things and explaining them to people like Ethan does necessarily makes you a know-it-all. I think it's very much about tone, okay? (laughs) 
I think I think tone plays a key role, and I think Ethan has a very good way. No, 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 no. This is absurd. There is no <laughs> way Ethan is being humble when he's telling people no, about this not, stuff. No, it's not. It's hum- not. It's not humility. Okay, what's his tone then? I think it's like. Okay. All right. All right. It's Luke, like cheerful. No, Luke. We're gonna play this out. I'm Cassius, there's a giant fireball coming from behind me, and you're Ethan, and you've got to tell me to move out of the way, because you know that it's coming. And we're both facing the same direction. Like, you and I are looking off in the distance at something. Oh, Ethan, uh, why are you using all my family's resources? Ah! (laughs) Wait, I don't... (laughs) I don't fully understand what the the game is here. You gotta. You're saying his tone works. His tone makes it seem like cool. So do it. Do the tone that you're claiming is gonna be is gonna make me feel okay with the fact that you know everything. Okay, I. I think it's more like when I think of a know-it-all, I think of like, uh, like kind of condescension, and like I feel like know-it-all has a. A sense of a bad faith actor in this case. And I don't think that Ethan has that. I like I don't I actually don't think he's condescending. Dude, he for sure is. He like he steals from the Emperor's vault. Like he doesn't care what anybody else says or does. This guy is the definition of condescending. I would just, I, this is going, we're going <laughs> no, you're going to have to do some cutting here. <laughs> okay. Um, Ethan, ooh, okay, how so much, how, I'll say this. His tone, I think, probably helps, but the fact that he's constantly flexing on literally everybody is so annoying. Like, if you know this much, you could just keep your damn mouth shut and solve all these problems sometimes right sometimes you could just like quiet up and just bat that fireball out of the way and you don't have to tell me how cool it was that you came by and happened to save us all okay sometimes i want just you to do it you don't need to tell me how cool it was that's all i'm gonna say okay okay well let's agree to disagree here um let me let me seamlessly transition here into kind of a i think we need to we need to think a little bit more deeply about ethan because he like we've been talking about knows everything and we've so far just kind of been chalking that up to like ethan is super impressive he has these bloodline abilities sure he knows everything i feel like we need to poke at that a little bit Mm. how does he know everything there, there's, there's some things that I think that there's a fair answer for that. And that's like plans. Sure. He's done this kind of thing. Like he snuck up on Narugwe or however we're pronouncing it and overheard that. Maybe when he figures out where Lyndon's duel is going to be in the previous books, he did that. Right. Um, but I don't know if that works for everything. Okay. So you're saying you're I, what you're saying is his bloodline abilities don't account for how much he's able to like know and do, right? Yes. Okay. I 
I think so. Okay, this I is mean, very interesting. I to think me. you could probably you could probably come up with a mechanism for the way in which he learns everything mm-hmm. via his blood his uh, bloodline ability. Mm-hmm. 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 But when I think of things like how did he know where and when the gate to the Nightwheel Valley was going to open, and even surprise a sage that he knew where that right. was Ooh, this is a great question this is a great question luke do you happen to have an answer for this i'm gonna i'm gonna let us i'm gonna let us marinate on that a little bit okay and we're gonna we're gonna circle back a little bit to it okay <sighs> okay okay because oh luke i actually have a question about this book that i didn't have a great answer to but you're starting to develop a little bit of an answer to my question and and we need to talk about it now. I think what's in Lynn? We need to, what, okay. We could, I think we need to. I'm going to transition. I'm going to keep us talking on this train. I'm going to keep us okay. riding this train. What's in Ethan's soul space? I've been trying to mm. think what Ethan is keeping in his soul space for a long time now. Since we found out about soul space, like sure, maybe he's got his scissors in there. Maybe he's got uh, the umbrella that he used in there. Some like a mop maybe just for fun but ethan's a kind of guy who surprises everybody based on like the size of his core and he's he's this kind of guy that that is surprising everybody based on like a normal thing that people have he's just taken it to the extreme and used it in a super cool way so i imagine Ethan's soul space has got to be massive, right? I'm thinking his soul space is huge because he also burns soul fire a lot. He says when the first time he uses soul fire that most underlords will use it very sparingly, but he just like whips it out all the time. Like he feeds little blue with soul fire the first time and he's like putting it in his scissors and all this stuff. He's got to have a massive soul space. Yeah. It, so it's something that we don't quite know about yet, I think. Like how big your soul space can be and how size affects things. Because like it, it seems like the size of your soul space does matter. Mm-hmm. Because we at first get Dross saying like Lyndon can fit a bean in there, which is a very funny scene. Very good. In a previous in the previous book, we saw occur harmony having this giant axe in his soul space. Mm -hmm. That axe is like bigger than the physical dimensions of your soul space. Yes. Yes. Unless, unless there's some kind of like TARDIS thing going on where it's bigger on the inside. Right. But, but okay, let's get, let's get back to your, let's get back to your thought. Do you have a thought on what is in Ethan's soul space or is it just kind of an open question? Okay, so it's kind of an open question, but it's starting to take form because I think it could potentially help answer your problem with this fact that Ethan seems to know everything. So maybe he's keeping something in his soul space that can help him with this. Okay. Maybe ha- somehow. Just kind of, we're just kind of thinking that maybe there's something that does that. Potentially, yeah. And- because we haven't seen him pull that much out of his soul space, if anything, I don't think. 
And you know he's got a wicked soul space. Mm-hmm. He's got to. It's decked out in there. He's got bean bags. <laughs> it's a super chill hang. For sure. For sure. Um Oh wait. Oh whoa. Could you put a person in your soul space? There's a thought. Whoa, hold on. Is there oxygen in your soul space? I don't know, man. Oh, oh boy. We need to hear more. More about the details of the soul space. Who's in let's, Ethan's let's, let's keep that? Who's in Ethan's soul space? Who is he trapped in there? <laughs> Let him out, Ethan. Okay. That has that has a lot of uses that I think we would have seen by now. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way that if you can have someone in your soul space, we wouldn't have already seen Ethan pulling a prank with that. No, but so it's I'm gonna too say, valuable. I'm going to say no valuable. people in the soul space. He's saving it for April Fool's Day. If he blows it now, it's not going to be as funny as down the line. Okay, that's okay. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move us on a little bit. It's still an it's still an Ethan related note, and this is this is my favorite scene. I think of the book, mm-hmm. and this is when Ethan gets surprised by Dross. Love to see Ethan surprised, and I'm 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 guessing that probably a lot of other people have this as one of their favorite moments, just because that kind of thing is so rare, and we've we've heard people wanting to see this like a lot. Yeah, but but here's what I think is good about this scene, and it's not the Ethan surprised part. It's the like manic glee he gets when he learns about Dross. <laughs> and he like goes kind of crazy for a second. I think that that was great. Yeah, that scene is incredible. Because you see like kind of, obviously Ethan's not a crazy person, but you see how like close to being unhinged he is. Like he's <laughs> very odd. And I imagine Lyndon was like, for a brief moment, was probably a little terrified of that. I Yeah, but it's also, it also kind of shows how genuine mm-hmm. Ethan is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Ethan's very first reaction to seeing this, other than surprise, is like how great this is for the group. He doesn't find a way to like make it, beneficial for him specifically and i i I don't know i think that's nice because i i would guess that a lot of people like Lyndon and yaren maybe have some reservations as to why ethan is actually being so helpful right but but this i don't know this is a very genuine scene yeah the genuine moments that ethan has the the ones i'm thinking of are this and when he's talking to cassius about the conflict between the jai clan and the Aurelius clan in Black Flame. The genuineness tempers his know-it-all in like the perfect way to where people do trust him and do like allow him to be a part of their of their little circles because he is very genuine and he genuinely I think wants to help everybody. So so I think that's why people tolerate his know-it-allness. They're still annoyed by it, but they're still gonna they kind of trust that he's on their side. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to move a little away from Ethan. Can we move a little away from Ethan? Yeah, we've spent a lot of time on Ethan. 
can we talk about how unimpressive Akura Harmony is after learning about this Nightwheel Valley? Akura Harmony gets to the Tree of Knowledge and says to it, tell me how to be Underlord. And in this book, Akura Charity opens the valley of like infinite aura to these people and says go forth and make underlords you're gonna make so many underlords in this valley that my family has access to akura harmony sucks (laughs) akura harmony probably lived in the fucking valley for years and was like "Mm, i'm really not being underlord i gotta figure this out somehow Anti-charity, anti-charity, can I have an axe, please? Oh, yes. Yes, Akura Harmony, here. Use this and become an underlord. Thank you. Very interesting accent choices. Okay. But I think that that's fair. Dude sucks. He used his one question. You can learn, like, anything you want. And he used his one question. How do I become an underlord? Live in the valley. he, He knows... He knows the path to being an underlord, right? Like, you you have to get to a certain level, and then you have to, like, have a revelation about yourself as to why you practice the sacred arts. People from, like, the Black Flame Empire maybe don't all know that step, but you do. I, I have to assume that you do. He for sure does, because Akura Mercy is talking about it with you. Yaren and Linden. She's like, oh yeah, all my tutors, they gave us all these cool ways to go to Underlord. I didn't think this one would work, but oh, apparently it did. For sure, Akura Harmony got all this shit. And so he was, his question, his question was phrased as how do I get to Underlord? But that translates to, hey, uh, all-knowing tree, why do I practice the sacred arts? That was his question. Yep. What a waste. Fucking stupid, Harmony. Come on. Harmony sucks, and I'm glad he's dead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll go. Yeah. (laughs) Harsh, but fair. But I'll say this. uh, Akura Mercy is a gem and a half. Akura Mercy is the greatest person of all time, and this book confirms it. We We love Akura Mercy, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we closed with this, Akura Mercy, just an absolute treasure. Um, yeah. I, we, we, I, we learned in this book why she says hello to everyone. She says hello to everyone because regardless of their power level, because it's like an, an equifier, like it's a equalizer, you know? Right. Hi, my name's Akura Mercy. What's your name? Oh, you're about to destroy me with fire? Well, please tell me your name. Even though you're way you're way more powerful than me. Or hello, little little blue. My name's Akura Mercy. What's your name? You're just a little guy I could squish, but I'm still gonna tell you my name. Like just great. What a great person, Akura Mercy. Can, can we also appreciate the the one scene where I I'm I'm not gonna try to pronounce his name. The the other the young prince from our rival kingdom is like I'm going to murder you, and I want you guys to know it was me, Prince whatever, that did it. 
And Mercy's like, hi, my name's Mercy. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Akura Mercy rules. She's so great. She is great. <sighs> she is great. Um, I'm going to talk to, I'm going to talk about another character here. Okay. Orthos. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's first say that the Orthos leaving scene just brutal. Top right? ten anime betrayals of all time. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, but in this we learn that sacred beasts go through a different process when they go to Underlord. They have to like go on this this journey that's different, this emotional journey, and they have to decide kind of like what they want their form to be. And here's where I'm going to bring up a comment from a listener. And it's a bit, it was, this is one of my favorite comments. This was a, it was a, it was a message to me. So it wasn't public yet. Um, and just for the record, if, if you send me a, like a private message or something, I generally don't give you a shout out by name just because it's a private message. But if you want me to go for it and let me know. But here we go. Last episode, we did we did a little rant about how Orthos is like so agile and that kind of thing. And one of the points that I brought up or and that we talked about was that there's no way he's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And this comment talked about how, depending on Orthos's, like, decision here, we could see Orthos going down the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle path. And I think that's fantastic. So, while Orthos was not Leonardo from TMNT, he could, he could show back up as one. Is what you're saying. Here's where I thought you were taking this. Orthos could become somebody that looks like a human when he turns to an underlord, right? Mm -hmm. What underlords do we know that used to be a sacred beast but are now looking like a human, Luke? Who's a secret sacred beast? Oh, so like, oh, I see what you're the saying. The first one that comes to mind is Ethan. Obviously not. Obviously not. <laughs> okay, hang on, hang on. Let me ba- let me back up for a second, because I think that you can start on the path to looking like a human, mm-hmm. but I don't think you fully get there at Underlord. Mm, okay. Like I think there's still hints because we see in Ghostwater there's a dragon Underlord who is who is chosen to become a human but there's still there's still some some dragony things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i think you may you you start on the path but you don't finish it yet okay ooh luke i figured it okay 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 this is a great point this is a great point so you've got to be way higher level in order to look like a human like we hear that the monarch for the golden dragons looks like a human boy a certified human boy. So once you get to a high enough level, then you look like a human, right? So who are the secret who are the secret sacred beasts among us mm-hmm. 
they've got to be either i'm gonna say like maybe a sage could get away with it or right. a monarch could get away with it but somebody used to be a sacred beast and then changed into also is it a little unfair that sacred beast gets to do this but people don't i i would agree okay i would agree it's a little unfair but we got to keep an eye out because somewhere there's there's an interloper. Somebody's hiding among the among the humans. I think. Yeah, we've got to find yeah, them for sure. Okay, kind of a small detail. Akira Mercy is giving her like Death Star esque plan to all the True Golds and Underlords about how they're going to break into the vault, and everybody's crowded into this little tiny room. And they're like super packed in together. And Lyndon says he's like squished between two people's armor. And Yaren's got her gold signs out to keep people from crowding her. Yaren, that's so rude. <laughs> Everybody's squeezed into this place, and you're the one who's poking people in the like in the eyeball with your gold signs because you don't want anybody to be within two feet of you. I get you're a little right, cranky. Er- I get you're a little <laughs> cranky. You have a reason to be cranky. But that's no excuse to have, like, knives sticking out of your back at anybody who gets within two feet of you. Yeah, Yaren is on the subway putting her feet up on the seats. 100%. She's got, the, she's got the music coming out of her phone without headphones. The worst. Come on, Yaren. I, I will say this about Yaren. I think at this point, we, we picture... Yaren and Lyndon to be on the same level, right? Like advancement-wise? Advancement, yeah, for the most part. Okay. Uh, yeah, about it's, the it's same. Kind of, it's kind of talked about that a little bit. But Yaren is just like genuinely so much better at fighting than Lyndon. Yeah, she takes on two and, underlords and almost kills one. Right, and, and part of that is because of this advantage with her blood shadow. But... They are not on the same level. Not at all. No. <laughs> Yaren's like, I'm going to say more than twice as good as Lyndon. Okay. So the, the question here is if we, if we, for the sake of this, say that her blood shadow is the equal of her. Yes. Which for, is, it's not, which true. is not fair yet, but, but let's just, mm-hmm. let's just keep that assumption for now. Is Yaren by herself a more formidable opponent than Lyndon? Yeah, I think yes. I think yes. I think Yaren versus Lyndon. Now, this is also Lyndon upgraded with Dross, right? Because Lyndon's got a Dross that's helping him out. So, but I still think Yaren versus Lyndon and Dross, Yaren is able to squeak out a victory. Okay. Okay. I think I think it's close enough that that's fair. And that we can say that with her blood shadow, Yaren, like, like, way ahead of Lyndon. Yes, definitely. Well, yeah, we saw it in this book. Lyndon tries to take on, was it Kiro, the prince for the Seishan yeah. Empire? Kiro, and is able to do a good amount of damage, but then runs off, and he's got, like, no Madra left. And Yaren's like, yeah, you've got about 10 seconds left. Let me take this one. Holds off the assault of Mira, who's apparently like a genius in her path, and stabs Kira with her sword to the point where he's probably going to die unless he gets help. And Yaren does that while Linden's watching. So much better. 
incredible. So much better at fighting than Lyndon. Yeah. Which makes it even crazier. Can I can I say it? It makes it even crazier. Lyndon advanced before Yaren. Oh, to wait. Technically, Lyndon beat Yaren to Underlord. And so Lyndon, That's true. for a brief, beautiful moment, was one level above Yaren. Can we just, can we just for a second give props to Lyndon? Can we push, can we, <laughs> can we send some props to Lyndon for that? Okay, okay. Yes, I think that that's fair. I think I'm going to push back against your phrasing of can we once give props to Lyndon? Okay. Because <laughs> I think we've given, been giving props to Lyndon like nonstop for the past like couple bucks. <laughs> okay, but real needs to recognize real in this moment. <laughs> Lyndon, you've made so much good work, so much good progress. Here's, 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 my, here's my worry. We've heard people saying, like, Ethan has done a surprisingly good job of building Lyndon's foundation. I'm concerned that, that Lyndon's advancing mm. so quickly has not, la- has not given time for this. I'm just... I, I think I think most I think that's like pretty clearly not the case considering what everyone has said. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like in terms of in terms of skill, the thing that sets Lyndon and Yaren apart is that Yaren's skill so vastly outstrips Lyndon's that it that it concerns me a little bit when Lyndon is purely focused on advancement rather than skill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the conflict that they had in the barn where. Yaren's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I'll beat all these wooden dummies with, like, my, a blindfold. And, yeah, I'll take them on. I'll punch them. And then Lyndon is like, oh, I'll just deactivate the script and keep moving on. Yaren's like, you can't keep doing that, man. You can't always yeah. come up with a cool plan. Sometimes you just got to have the skill to beat somebody. Yeah, I agree. I share your concern a little bit, Luke. I'm a little worried. We're a little luckily, worried luckily about our boy. Dross is there. Dross is there to, to kind of mitigate this risk. But I, I, I'm worried about us leaning on Dross a little bit too much now. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We will. Let me let me bring us back to this fight scene with uh, the two other underlords. And Yaren like absolutely crushes it. Gets gets a good hit on Cairo, however we're pronouncing his name. And Mira gets very mad. So mad she turns into a tree. <laughs> Have you ever been that mad, Luke? I've never been that mad. Not yet. But I get it. Like, she's super obsessed with this guy. She's a little crazy. Um, just a little. And Yaren has, like, very much put her... I don't know how to call obsession. their relationship. I'm going to say it's an obsession. Because that's what Akira Charity says as well. Yeah. She's she's put her the guy that she's obsessed with at a very high level of risk, but also like you attack them. You as two underlords attack. You don't get to be mad. You just don't. This is this is the same thing that I got mad at Jai Long about. Exactly. I knew you're going to bring this up. It's like take some responsibility. This is a tiger attacking a rabbit and the rabbit like kicks you in the spleen and makes your appendix burst and you're mad at the rabbit no you don't get to be mad at the rabbit this is your fault yeah 
Speaking of the prince who gets stabbed here, his like big move is to make his sword get really big. Is that that practical? Because we're talking, I would say, I would say no. We're talking the first time he does it, his sword quadruples in size. Which, if I imagine a sword that I'm holding in my hands, and then imagine a sword that's four times bigger, uh, I don't think that's better. <laughs> I don't think that's better. That's a giant sword. That's a obviously we're in anime sword territory when you do it four times mm-hmm. as large. When he's fighting Linden in the vault, he says tenfold. His sword gets ten times as big. That's like his. That's wider than a person's body at the width. And the length of it has got to be just... If a sword is six feet long and you increase it by ten times, that's a 60-foot sword. They're kind of at close quarters, too. The only benefit I can see from that is if you're using it as a strange ranged attack. Like, you're 60 feet away from somebody and you're like, all right, time for my extendo sword. And you point it at them and make it just shoot out. Yeah. Otherwise, it it just seems a little unwieldy. It seems a little bit unwieldy. I think it's probably kind of hard to picture because my my guess is that the size also like affects the power of the hit that he's hitting with. But I will say that they it the size was talked about, not like the the power of the swing. So I'm not positive on that. I'm just kind of assuming. Yeah, I think it's safe to assume it powers up when it gets bigger. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you here. I feel like do something cooler. Like if it shot a cool laser beam. All right. I I, I think it's just it's not a one on one fight move. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like a move. If you're uh, uh, fighting a bunch of people, if you're like up against, I don't know. If you're trying to take out like a giant, I don't know. I don't think it's a one. Like if you're fighting an army, a sixty-foot sword could be kind of useful because you just sweep. Oh, yeah, you be- sweep along the battlefield and just everybody's cut in half. Boom, problem solved. Right, right. But yeah, one-on-one, you need to maybe make it a little smaller. You have a little needle-shaped sword and you just stab it into somebody. Oh yeah, maybe. I actually don't know if that would be helpful either. Uh, that's, that's, Maybe I mean, that's just like a that's just a knife. That's just but... a knife. Maybe there's a reason we make swords a certain size, and changing the size of them doesn't really help in a major way. <laughs> Maybe that's what we're getting at here. I think that is the point. Let's talk. Let's talk. I have a very brief kind of dumb thing about uh, charity, the sage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get yelled at for this. There's a scene here where Lyndon first meets Charity and is like, she looks kind of familiar. I maybe maybe it's because of maybe it's because I know Mercy, but she looks weirdly. I feel like I've seen her before. Uh who's what, what, what do we what do we think? Who's Lyndon's mom related to now? Lyndon's mom? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Lyndon's mom is the daughter of a current charity. Fight me. <laughs> confirmed i think we can say that um we can move on because i think that's pretty much nailed nailed down we saw it on that um, one uh can we talk about the akura aesthetic for a little bit because did you hear welcome to the black parade as soon as they walked into the Nightwheel valley like i did Ooh. because the i wish that the I akura had. aesthetic is straight out of a hot topic 
That's true. We've got this- Malice, the monarch, has black lipstick going on. We've got this fucking Adams family with Akura, Mercy as Wednesday, and whatever the mom- I don't- Adams family is a little too old for me, but whatever the mom is in Adams family as Akura, <laughs> Malice. Like, it's just so goth, and I do love it. It's very theme- Okay. We are here for it. We are here for it. And you know that the Akura Halloween party is the best in the land, right? Oh, oh, for sure. It's off the wall, okay? But like the rest of the year, everybody's like, put the bats away, please. We get it. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be spooked anymore. That was an October thing. Yes. Very, very spooky, though. Incredibly spooky. The aesthetic is definitely rank one, I think. Okay, Staying on the Akura, fam- Akura family, though, I feel like we need to get a little a little lockpicking lawyer situation going on with their vault design. So, lockpicking lawyer is a YouTube guy who picks locks and tells you why they're bad. The Akura vault design sure. sucks. It's so terrible. And it's terrible because Akura Mercy says, yeah, I can get us into the vault, but if we close the door behind us... Ah, I can't get out again. We have to have an Akura open it up from the outside. Are you kidding me? So if Akura, if a, oh, if, if Akura Charity accidentally closes the door behind her, she's like, well, shit, I got to have somebody come in and open this thing because I can't open it from the inside. You, okay, having a vault that doesn't open from the inside is insanity. Why would you ever do that? Okay. Okay, let, let, me, let me first say, I think Akura Charity is a bad example because she can teleport herself okay. out. Yes, obviously. But your point does stand. If it's already keyed to an Akura to get in, why would you make it so they couldn't get out again? <laughs> Use the same key to let them out. It's just an Akura. Yeah. yeah. That's a, f- I mean, that's a, f- I have no notes. It's just bad vault design. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we've we've criticized the economic policies of the Black Flame Empire and the vault design of the Akura family. I think I think we're on brand here. Um I have I have one big note before we get to highlights. Okay. I I kind of just have a question. For you about the vault and how the vault was set up did the little dioramas in the vault with each of the r's remind you of anything when you were going through because it had i had a very clear picture in my mind of what this looked like and i'm curious if you have that picture too um my picture was kind of like a basilica with little alcoves Mm, okay okay yeah 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 that wasn't my picture my picture was from my sixth grade trip to the California State Capitol. And when you walk through the California State Capitol, there are on the walls at a certain point little dioramas from each of the counties in California that nobody paid any attention to. But they're filled with all the like quote unquote cool stuff from around the state. So there's like, ooh, look at these almonds from Yuba County or Look at these dried prunes. Whoa, check this out. And so I was just, I just had that in my head the whole time we're walking through this vault of like these counties trying to show up at the state capitol and nobody really cares, guys. 
But but <laughs> I, I, these dioramas sound much cooler than that. So I will say I cared. But that was the vibe I was getting. Okay. Okay. There's the vibe. Um, okay. It's time. It's time to circle back to Ethan. Here. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's the, the, the last thing that I have here is in the epilogue, before we get to Orthos's scene, Ethan is, is telling Yaren basically that he is the leader of their team. For the Uncrowned Tournament. Mm-hmm. And he does it by saying... He basically comes out and is like, who else would you think it would be? I'm only 34. Which, like, I guess for some reason people were assuming Ethan was older. Mm-hmm. But Ethan is 34 years old. I think I see where the, you're going with this. The Uncrowned Tournament requirement is 35 years old. Right, like, and I think the Uncrowned Tournament does not start for I don't know another let's say nine months. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what it is, but coming up against Ethan's eligibility. Yeah, we're right there. Yeah, no, no fucking way. That's a coincidence. No chance. You're saying Ethan? Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whoa. What? How would Ethan have planned this? Okay, okay, okay. This, this, this is kind of not. This is kind of not a. This, this is a me just asking questions moment, right? Here we go. <laughs> just asking questions, Dan. Uh, yeah, sure, just you asking are. Questions. Yeah, okay. The worst thing you can do. I, my, my other question with this is, why is Ethan still an underlord? This is also a question I have. Yeah. I don't. He shouldn't be an underlord. Yes. I we don't know exactly like what goes on to make you advance. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that Ethan is like trying to reach Overlord right now. I also think he's purposefully waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying maybe he's waiting to be able to compete in this tournament? Yes. Okay. All right. I I'm I think I'm on board with you there yes i think also that he had to have known that this tournament was coming does the tournament happen at regular intervals i don't remember i don't think so okay okay yes i don't i don't think it happens regularly so i i think that and i'm not positive how this age thing comes in I just think it's very suspicious that he is like squeaking under the line. I think that's crazy. I tend to go, I tend to believe that nothing that revolves around Ethan is by coincidence. Right. So I agree. It is very interesting that he's just squeaking under the line to participate in the tournament. It also makes me wonder about one of our past theories about the dread gods coming back because luke who is kind of responsible for the bleeding phoenix coming back i i guess ethan is ethan is kind of responsible and why are they having this uncrowned tournament from my understanding is that there is new urgency because of the 
the accelerated rate at which the dread gods are waking. Exactly. And it seems like their accelerated waking is due to the fact that the bleeding phoenix came back, right? And so maybe Ethan has been planning this out for way longer than we thought. Maybe Ethan is the reason that they're having this uncrowned tournament in the first place. And he was like, ooh, I got to get on this. I'm almost 35. I got to get my life together. (laughs) Then the question becomes... Why does he want this uncrowned tournament to happen? And I think it has to do with his vision that he got from Osriel. Like, I think it has to do with the fact that he's trying to level up. And he knows that at the uncrowned tournament, there's something to do with the heavenly messengers. Because I think they said something about the top four contenders, something with the heavenly messengers. Is that right? Uh, I think the top four have something to do with the monarchs okay but the, but i'm not positive but the winner i remember there was something to do with the heavenly messengers in like i think maybe the winner of the tournament or something like that the, so so yaren says that she doesn't know what the winner gets uh-huh. she says that her the her sage of the endless sword his gift for one of the stages was a like dream tablet of a heavenly messenger swinging a sword Yes. That might be what you're thinking. That's of. exactly what I'm thinking of, Luke. And in that case, I, I mean, definitely Ethan knows about that. And so I think, like, how long has Ethan been planning this? Okay, okay, okay. Let's, I, I like where you're going with this. Let's think about the the implications of this. Because I, I, ooh, this, this would be a very good explanation as to how the, the timing works out so well. But let's think about this for a second, because part of the reason that the Bleeding Phoenix woke up is because the leader of the Abaddon basically increased the likelihood of it waking up because there was such a small chance that it probably wasn't going to happen, but he changes fate to make it happen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the implications of this are are pretty huge. We don't know how far Ethan's sight extends, Luke. <laughs> this is this is going back a little bit to to when I talked about earlier how it's weird that Ethan knows everything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I I feel like there's a pretty good a, a pretty good chance that Ethan has some sense of like being able to see fate. Oh, uh, I th- I thought Ethan explicitly denies being able to see the future. I th- I'm pretty I mean, sure. Okay, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> so Ethan does explicitly deny being able to see the future, and he does say he can just see the present really well. I don't remember if he's saying that to Cassius or if he's saying that to Lyndon or if he's just saying that to himself, like if that's a inner monologue. But he definitely at one point says he can't see the future. You're thinking maybe he's got like some oracle powers? I I'm not I'm not sure here. Mm. But let me just let me just say it's it's weird that Ethan hasn't advanced yet. Yes. I think. I also think that. And the there's a the main reason for him not advancing, I think, is so that he can participate in this tournament. Mm-hmm. He's very, very close to the age limit. Like, very close. And he is involved 
in the like spark for the tournament. Yep. Like pretty kind of obliquely involved. Right. But he's involved. I will say this. I will that, say this. That stinks to me. It does stink like Ethan. I'll say this though. He doesn't, even if he doesn't know that the fate was changed to allow the Bleeding Phoenix to rise, he still knew that there was a chance it would rise regardless, right? Like, even if he can't see fate, he can still play with the probabilities and say, okay, if the door is open, that means that the Dread Gods might wake up, right? So he could have just been playing a, like, probability game with, and we don't know what would have happened if the Bleeding, or if uh, dread god didn't wake up like maybe ethan's got 10 other underlords who are feuding with him who he's gonna trick into going into a labyrinth <laughs> so ooh, i i very much think ethan ethan might have been a part of initiating the uncrowned tournament but why that's that's the that's the question that's a great question luke uh i was about to end us there but we need to talk highlights yeah, we've got we've got a couple. Let's go quick to the highlights because this is long. Quick highlights, first highlight, only highlight, because we talked about a lot of them. I'm gonna say my only highlight. Lyndon shoots the prince underlord that's trying to kill him with a cannon, demolishes him, and he's like, "Oh, this takes a few seconds to recharge." So he dropped it and pulled out a second cannon. We got so hyped when that happened incredible linden's like yeah i can't wait to reload my gun so i pulled out another gun incredible <laughs> a very a very good very linden very moment. powerful <laughs> uh one highlight for me is charity telling the the rival princes before they start their turn their little competition that Linden's gonna if they go after him, Linden's gonna kill him. Like very easily. Uh pretty good moment there. That's uh a current charity shown respect. Real real <laughs> recognize real. There it is. Uh Yaren's blood shadow, very badass. And I don't necessarily just mean the fighting aspect of it, but I think the blood shadow has some swag. Everybody loves the wolf scene, which we love the wolf scene. Okay, yes. I'm actually, the the scene that I'm thinking of is in that moment, but not that part of it. Mm. And that's when Yaren comes up like really close to try to intimidate it. And it just like looks her in the face and takes a bite of cake or something. Very badass. Um, Mira's weapon seems too good. Yeah, it's OP. The one that like cuts lifelines away. It's OP for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I don't know how effective um, it would be against an Underlord. Right. So... There's that. Okay. And then Yaren, there's a, there's a lot of them, but Yaren has a lot of like little emotional moments in this that are good to see. Like her saying goodbye to Orthos. Mm -hmm. Her saying goodbye to Mercy was actually a very good moment. Very touching. Yeah. Because she like hugs her so hard that she like almost dies. Yep. And before that we were like, oh, they don't really like Mercy for some reason. We love how they came around to Mercy in this book. Because she deserves yeah. it. Okay, last highlight that I have is the last bit when Orthos and... or I guess we see that Orthos has made it to Sacred Valley. Very exciting. Love to see Orthos hanging out in Sacred Valley. 
There's also a hint here that Jai Chin and Jai Long have made it to Sacred Valley. That's exciting to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, things in Sacred Valley sound pretty bad, honestly. So we'll see what happens there. Um, But Luke, next on the list, Uncrowned. We're going to be finishing up the books released so far of the Cradle series. Hopefully, we'll find out more information about this Ethan Uncrowned connection. But what we're definitely going to do is display all of our newfound sacred treasures that we've collected from the Valley of Hot Takes. And we've got to sort through them like a couple of dumb parents. <laughs> <laughs> 